Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan and from Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Oh, what's up is, Andrew, you and Arsene Wenger have taken a big L today. Our friend Tarek Panja reporting that the biennial World Cup is dead. Me? (laughs) Oh, hang on a second, friend. Another failure for Gianni Infantino. Here's what happens next. Your idea of wanting a biennial World Cup just so the United States could play more games. Well, it's dead. You and Arsene Wenger and the rest of the coastal elites, you're, you're finished. Hi, hi. Have we met? Do you, have you heard words that I've spoken? Does anything that comes out of my mouth mean anything oh, to you? Does your brain? You. Does your brain we heard process? You loud it? and clear. I specifically said I don't want a biennial World Cup. I think it will taint what is for me the most cherished sporting competition there is. I think but marquee if we players one, will suffer injury for us. No, I said I want the Confederations Cup or something akin to that to return. Well, interesting that you should say that, and I should stop berating you, because I'm, of course, having fun. I was going to go down the line that when we interviewed Arsene Wenger, that it was all just a ploy between you and him, that you actually know each other and you've been working on the Biennial World Cup, but um, I won't go down that road. Uh, Interestingly, um, the Biennial World Cup may be dead, but uh, Infantino is going to try and push ahead with the, uh, as Tarek says, mothballed idea of an expanded World Club Cup and also of a international tournament that's not the World Cup. So I'm curious where they're going to fit that considering the European Championships, considering Copa America, Gold Cup, all those things. Where are they going to fit that? What's it going to look like? Is it going to, in fact, usurp the Nations League? Um, is it going to be like played out over months, over windows? Or is it going to be like one one quick hit of a tournament? I don't know. But Infantino, for now, um, has See, been stymied. I'm, I'm, I'm all ears for that. Yeah, I knew you would be. I knew you would be. Like, Yeah, that one has that has my attention, and we'll see what it looks like. But, like, I would be on board. I've been saying I want more of this team. I want to watch the U.S. men's national team play more competitive games. Um, so, yeah, let, let's see the proposal, and then uh, – and then we'll we'll assess. We'll but assess. That's but it I for, have um, never I have never been a proponent of the biennial World Cup. I love I love painting you in a certain way and then just going in all in on you. And your your outrage is always just right at the top. It's ready to go. Um, <laughs> what's interesting for me is uh, you know what Tarek told us. And and by the way, anytime Tarek Panja is on our podcast, I I leave with just my mind opened even further as to what's going on. This isn't just about money for Infantino. In fact, I would say this is not about money, the biennial World Cup. Of course, it's about money in certain areas, but I don't think it is for him. Uh, Tarek told us about he's, about how he's a guy who is uh, you know, very interested in legacy. So when he's done and moved, moves on from this role, he wants something that he can point to and say, that's what I did. You know, Infantino's legacy for world soccer. And um, and so he's failed in this attempt, but God knows what's up next. Well, we'll see. And I, I'm going to keep an open mind. I didn't like this one. 
Maybe it's message received. Okay, the people didn't want that. Let's try to think of something else. And I'll, I'm open to it. I'm certainly open to it. Uh, JJ, I'm also open to what happened on Friday. <laughs> the group draw for the World Cup. Uh, it was this was the moment for me. Maybe like probably even more than the five one win against Panama or the the literal qualification for the U.S. against Costa Rica. Watching the U.S.'s name drawn in Group B was kind of like the the punch to the face, like the awakening of like, oh my God, like right. this just got this just got extremely real. We're a part of this again for the first time in eight years, uh, and I'm wondering if that was sort of the same feeling for you. Yeah, it was. Um, although it wasn't so much as a punch to the face uh, in terms of that World Cup draw as a <laughs> a slow but sure suffocation that brought me around to the reality because it took forever to get to the meat of what we wanted from this. But when you saw the group drawn out, albeit with the the factor that we don't know who the, the yeah. fourth team is going to be in that group, um, it was something. It, it, it was like, wow, we're back here. And... Just as I'm sure all of the Qatari organization committee and FIFA want, I got excited. I started seeing matchups in my head. I started, I started seeing narratives play out. I thought of fun things we can do in the podcast, and, um, and I was sucked in. Oh, I mean, yeah, how could you not be? Look, in terms of the – let's go through this piece by piece. Uh, you, you, the first thing you mentioned was the long, drawn-out nature of it. Oh. So here's what I will say. Um, None of us should necessarily be surprised by that. This is like if you watch various FIFA based group draws, you know, this is kind of what they do. It's a spectacle for them for whatever reason. Um, it makes CBS's March Madness selection show look like it occurred in the blink of an eye. Right. All of us who have ever complained that CBS's March Madness selection show takes too long all owe them an apology for what FIFA puts on for their draw. Um, so like we shouldn't be surprised by it. Having said that, doesn't make it any less painful while you're living through it. Even if you know it's coming, it's still just brutal. But I, I think, and not to cut across you, but I think it was heightened because we, for for American terrestrial TV watchers, we had Stewie and Alexi's jaunt to Qatar, where we saw them, you know, messing around in doom buggies and things like that, and basically kind of a tourism ad for for Qatar, which is. Look, it's fine. It's part of hosting this event is that the, your country is now center stage for the next. Well, you know, it's however important long. to take them to the sand because the sand is there naturally. Whereas if you take them to and show them show them the stadiums, you might have to ask a few questions about how these things were constructed. Hmm. But so take them to the desert. That's fine. But the fact we've gone through this, um, by the way, which Fox absolutely totally entitled to do and and fine, maybe enjoyable for some people. But I was like, come on, let's go. And then you realize the proper show hasn't even started. Right. Oh, my God. And then we took a trip to the metaverse, the worst of all the verses. I don't want to be there. And we see this floating Casper the Ghost style mascot, who, by the way, pretty lippy for, you know, what is essentially a piece of cloth. He's, you know, he's he's pretty mouthy. And um, he takes us to to the metaverse of. Of. Uh, Whatever those things are, mascots, yeah, where they all exist and live together in a perfectly functioning society. Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's all just part of this. And uh kind of like I said, it's it's almost to be to be expected. Sure. sure, yeah, but we had a you know, we had a speech from the Emir 
Um, when you when you put it all together, it's a lot of time. And then you have the hosts coming out and Samantha Johnson, all the, the hosts come out. And one of them, which, again, I've n- no real problem with, was a former Qatari international from like the late 70s into the 80s. And he's come out and he's going to help draw the balls alongside, alongside Cafu. And I can't remember who else there was. And um, Samantha Johnson turns to him and asks, and I'm like, no, Samantha, you do not ask this elderly gentleman anything. Do not ask him anything. Please, we have to get this started. Right. It's almost like when you're in a, like a work meeting oh. and you're just like, this meeting is just going on too long. I have things to do. And you're just like, it's, you can tell it's wrapping up. The host of the meeting is like going into yeah. wind down mode. And someone raises their hand to ask like a totally inane question that could oh. easily be handled on email outside of the meeting that only applies to like two people. And inside, everyone in the room is screaming at them. Yeah. <laughs> not that yeah, I... No, but I should like. say, you know, I, I got to balance out the positive parts. Seeing Cafu, the act of drawing the balls out and opening them was, he was just buzzing. Mm. He absolutely was loving life. He was so happy. I mean, he's all a player that we remember and like enjoyed for like decades. So <laughs> he seemed to play forever. And it was just so good to see to see him enjoy himself um, while yeah. we were all it slightly. Was, yeah. And it was cool seeing Carly Lloyd represent the U.S. up there. Um, she looked I, great. Yeah, I, I thought, have to say, she looked amazing. Um, thought, yeah, that was cool. I, I would say too. You and I, we were we were talking on the phone while this was going on, um, and and I had said to you that I was actually I was pretty impressed with Jermaine Genus as a presenter. Yeah, but you've got to, and I said to you, of course, you know, Jermaine Genus is a better presenter than he is probably a football analyst at this point. Um, I think I thought he was very good. Yeah, he's like he seemed like a. Like if I didn't know, if I was just sitting down, not having watched soccer, or knew anything about it, I'd say, "Oh, that guy is a broadcaster. Like he went to school and studied this." Like I wouldn't have known that that was a former soccer player. All right. Um, so I, I was impressed. With I thought that. he was better than, even than Idris Elba. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were being asked to do different things, but yeah, uh, yeah I might actually agree with that. Um, so yeah, it was it was certainly a spectacle. The hype was built, and then. Here we go. They start drawing names, and let's just go right into it. I mean, we're, we're here, obviously, to talk primarily about um, the U.S. side of this. Group B, England, the U.S., Iran, and then one of Scotland, Wales, or Ukraine. Whew, yeah. Wow. In terms of high-profile nature, this group is, is pretty massive, I would say. Um, initial thoughts on this. I'll start with, like— for for the World Cup here in the U.S., with those being the teams, and again, we don't know who the fourth one is yet, but like nothing nothing about this is going to fly under the radar. I, I kind of wondered if there was going to be, because it wasn't during the summer when things are generally slower, yeah. um, you know, there's not a lot of competition in the sports landscape, work for some people slows down. Um, this is going to be in the fall where a lot is going on for people, so I worried about that, but I Seeing the teams that are in this now, I think that it will be very high profile. Looking at when these things will happen, the U.S. and England on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. What? The TV rating that that has potential to do, I think, is is truly uh. amazing. Everyone home, weather in a lot of part of the country, not great. So it's, a, it's kind of like a big television day for people to begin with. Uh, and then England. Uh, just like... Other than Brazil, you can make the case. I'm not saying that they're the best team, but in terms of high profile, in, t- in terms of like name and lights opponent, you can't really get much bigger than that. 
Well, I mean, we are t- the the two major English speaking nations in in the world, and so the the crossover there is is huge. The history there is huge, and also just take it within the U.S. soccer community, online, offline. We are obsessed with the Premier League. Uh, many U.S. soccer fans are hugely into it. Their mornings are they know all these players, you know, intimately <laughs> everything about them, and now they come up to play against them. And don't forget as well that there is this element of being looked down upon, which certain feral sections of the, of the English soccer Twitter scape will never stop doing. Like, you know, sometimes if we do a, if I do a tweet from our account or, or even my own account, like I don't have any Irish flag emoji in my, in my settings or anything like that. And I make a comment I think uh, I think it was the the one about Pulisic being a better natural finisher or yeah a better finisher than Mason Mount, and I I just felt from what I'd seen that was the case, and uh, straight away, you know because they see the tag is from Brooklyn and if it's from America, you get this this <laughs> deluge of abuse, and the abuse is basically um, national centric. It's where you come from. It's what they think my accent is, but. Um, there is that kind of sense, continuing sense of being looked down upon. Also, the English media were at it again with that draw. I cannot believe how little they know about, like in this day and age, it's not acceptable, but how little they know about even some of their best analysts know about the 1-11 to of the US men's national team. Do I expect them to know a lot about Walker Zimmerman? Not really, but surely you should know about um, Tyler Adams, Surely you should know more about Weston McKinney, and it's not just Christian Pulisic. So JJ, I was this. This is not necessarily the English media, but I was listening to what for me is I consider a prominent soccer podcast that is based in England. That's all I'll say about it. And this was not. Oh, I know. This one. was not too. All right, fair enough. But this was not too long. Pulisic had been at Chelsea for a little bit, I think, but he had already made a name for himself. Uh, playing at Borussia Dortmund you know he had high profile moments against Real Madrid in the Champions League like he was not a no-name player he just signed for over 70 million with Chelsea people knew who he was they did not know he was American they thought he was Croatian because of his yeah. last name and it was brought to their attention and they were they were dumbfounded by it yeah, so I, so it's so funny because things that are so on our radar don't even register a peep on the Richter scale of people in England for what is important to them and a lot of our players are playing at high levels but they're not, you know, they're not in England. Mm-hmm. Therefore, like if Lyndon Gooch, if Sunderland were back in the Premier League and Lyndon Gooch was start, starting every game, they'd absolutely know who he is. They'd know how, if he was any good, they'd know how quick he was. They'd know his pass completion percentages. They'd know all that. But it is, it isn't just like... Right, they'll be stunned to find out that Josh Sargent may not even make this team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, They'll be stunned to find out about how many players we have playing around Europe, or even how many we have all together in the champ or had all together in the Champions League. So I do. I, mean, ha- I, I, have I s- never hear mention, not a single mention, which makes me wonder how are they not watching La Liga? Never a mention of Serginho Dest. Hmm. Like <laughs> mind-boggling. I ha- but- I have some of the examples here of kind of what you're talking about. Um, so. After the day after the draw, uh, the Men in Blazers Twitter account put this out. 
They said, reading English press this morning, what stands out apart from the overconfidence is how little U.S. is on their radar. Focus very much on possibility of home nations game versus Wales or Scotland than the geopolitics of an Iran clash. And then along with that, they posted four different back pages from various English newspapers. The first one from the Daily Express, it says, champing at the Brit, Gareth gets lucky, but Welsh or Scots could derail bid for glory. The second one from the Star. Top draw for three alliance. Got a B, emphasis on the B for group B, got a B happy with that. Then the mirror. Yankee doodle dandy. Southgate strikes it lucky again as three lines draw USA, Iran, and a tougher tougher against Wales, Scotland, or Ukraine. The Daily Telegraph. England handed Dream World Cup draw and possible Battle of Britain. The U.S. is not a thing to them. It doesn't register. It's only about the potential challenge of facing the uh, the Welsh team or the Scottish team. The U.S. is... They are not they are not even acknowledging it really as a as a potential bump in the road here, um, which is, I don't, again, American centric of me to say it. But it that feels surprising. That feels surprising to me. No, I mean, I, 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 I think for me, if, if you're from Scotland, Wales, the Republic of Ireland, the kind of English media and their arrogance, uh, myopic view of the world. Well, it's, it's Anglo-centric, which... Anglo-centric again, and, and we're probably guilty of the same thing being here. Of course we are. We are, indeed. Um, but we're... we're um, people from, from those countries, uh, Ireland plus what they call the home nations, we're kind of used to this. Mm-hmm. This is what we've put up for, for years because we have uh, ready access to all the English media. We have all the English TV stations, so for us, it's it's no big shock that you guys are experiencing it. In some ways, for someone like me, it's like, well, now you know what we go through. Yeah, um, I mean, look, we were in the group with them in 2010, and I remember the like we've always talked about the the acronym that they put out there, Easy, um, before that yeah. draw. Like, I, I do remember that stuff, but I feel like t- t- the Twitter universe, social media, wasn't quite as pervasive as what it is now. So maybe some of that was kind of in the darkness for us here in the United States. Now it's going to be loud and clear. I feel like the U.S. men's national team should almost hire someone, like a the, the coordinator of bulletin board material, to just yeah. like compile all of this stuff and have it at the ready to like, as these guys are going out, like, uh, you know, before the match, like each player is handed a dossier of all of the things that have been negatively said about them in the English media in the build-up to this. Like, as Tyler Adams is walking out for the pregame, like, national anthem, Tyler, here's your dossier. You know, DeAndre, here's your... Like, just right through the line. I'll, I'll, I'll gladly volunteer if they'd like to have me. <laughs> I'm sure they would. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't... I don't feel slighted by it necessarily, but it will be interesting as the months progress, JJ, because I was always... It was always interesting to me how visceral your disdain was for England as they were rolling through the Euros and how hard you were rooting for Italy. Yeah, and, and I didn't... part of it is I have no, like, there's no real um, part of me that has any animosity towards any of those players, really, apart from Declan Rice. Three, no, we, we generally love all these players. Three senior caps of the Republic of Ireland. That's my own personal um, problem. But uh, it's the hype, Andrew. It's the, it's the nonsense that starts. Uh, and it's not always generated by Gareth Southgate or the team. Um, that said, 
uh, you know, it's it's great that the USA will play England. I remember last time around in 2010 how much fun that was. And I think that this is a better US team. It's a less experienced US team, I would yes. say that, um, in terms of personnel. Although, mm, I don't know. Uh, does that even matter? Uh, because it's going to be a fairly, relatively, there's going to be a lot of young English players on this team too. And I think... Uh, I think that the U.S. will give uh, will give England a much better game than they than they think they're going to get. Uh, I would I would tend to agree. I would tend to agree with that. Um, so let's kind of go through this a little bit here. What should we, uh, as American fans, what are we, what are we like about this group? What are we worried about? You want to start with with positives. Um, I think second place is up for grabs. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the positive there. Um. I think that the U.S. can, I mean, I will, again, I'm speaking from a place where I have to, you know, do my research on Iran. There was a time when you'd know more about Iran than we do, than I know now. Um, but I would fancy us to beat Iran. I'm not going to say it's going to be easy because it won't be. We've seen Iran at tournaments before, the last tournament, and them being unlucky in some ways. Um, technically, you know, a decent side, uh, Scotland wins or Ukraine. That's that's the whole thing. I, I fancy us. I think the Welsh are the pick of that, those three when they're in full flow. And but there's lots of factors here. Will Ramsey and Bale be fit come come the winter? What clubs are they going to be playing at? I'm I'm assuming Ramsey's going to still be at Rangers. He's had a really kind of stuttered start to his Rangers career, although he did play at the weekend. You know, fitness is a big thing. Bale, where's Bale going to be? Hmm. Um. Yeah, Scotland, it, Scotland have to get over Ukraine. There is a whole final to be hit. It's almost I, I, hard to to analyze that part of it. At this I point. don't know. I, I out of those three teams, I I know the Scots are in this moment now where there's there's huge confidence, and they feel as if they have a team that is much more loaded with with players than they've had in the past. Your McTominays, your McGinns playing regularly in Premier League football, Shea Adams. Um, Tierney, as well as Andy Robertson, like those, those are excellent players. Um, but they were not that impressive. <laughs> they did typical Scottish things at, at uh, major tournaments uh, last summer. So how f- how much further on are they actually going to be come mid come a mid season World Cup? That's my question. And will they even get over the hump that is Ukraine? That's that question is is still out there because Ukraine's mindset. What's that going to be going into the game? I mean, they're literally. There's so much meaning on this game. There's so much emotion that yeah. they can either channel that into a, an amazing victory over the Scots or they could implode. One of those two things could happen. So analyzing this group is almost impossible right now. Well, yeah, that part of it. I mean, the England-Iran part is, is certainly there for analysis. Look, England are a great team. Like that, when, when, their name, when our name appeared in their group, um, it's funny, my... Like you want to advance, you want to progress through this tournament as far as you can, and and so like what goes hand in hand with that is you kind of want to be in the easiest group possible to ensure that that'll happen. Um, England are not easy; that presents a real challenge. And yet, it's funny, JJ. Just maybe it's just my familiarity with their players, with their with their league. I was thrilled. Like I, I got so excited. It was like a rush of adrenaline when I saw that the U.S. and England would be playing each other in the World Cup. So it's kind of, I mean, I'm and I'm sure the players feel similarly. They know. Again, the, the name and lights element of playing against that team, they must be they must have been all really excited, I would think. Christian, uh, Christian Pulisic said his first message afterwards was from Mason Mount. I mean, they're great friends, teammates. Um, and so, like, it's going to start early. The chatter around this, 
Um, it will. I mean, it's already begun. Certainly for us, I know it's it's begun and it's going to continue for quite some time. Um, things that I feel worried about in looking at this. So, like you just said, it is it's there for the taking, um, but it is also a tough group, and I don't want to do to Iran what we feel like England are doing to us. Kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever, whatever. Um, I think Iran it presents a real challenge for the U.S. It's, it's sometimes hard to gauge solely off of what happens during your qualification um, as to how great of a team you are or how bad of a team you are. Um, but right now, it's kind of what we have. And if you look at Iran, I mean, they were they scored 15 goals in the third round of Asian qualifying. Only Australia had that many, um, except the Australians also gave up nine goals while Iran only conceded four. Um, they clinched in qualification with three matches to spare. Only Japan scored more goals in Asian qualifying over the course of the second and third rounds. You know, some of their players, you know, a lot of them we're not going to be familiar with because of where they play. But like Mehdi Taremi is at FC Porto. Uh, Ali Reza Yahambash is at Fe- uh, Feyenoord. Mm. Um, and those are players who play up front for them in an attacking role, which brings me to the next part of what I am slightly concerned about heading into this. So that's Iran. I just went through their, what they can do in goal scoring and attack. England, of course, are loaded there. Kane, maybe among the top three strikers in the world. Um, we know about their other attack players as well. Grealish, Foden, you can go through it. Um, JJ, I look at the U.S. going into this, and I, I don't like saying this because these are players that I've come to really love and believe in, but a center back pairing of Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman has not really been tested against that kind of competition. No. And I think when you're talking about them performing in the Gold Cup, which is sort of where that partnership really emerged, and in World Cup qualifying where that partnership crystallized, you know, those were a lot of games where the U.S. saw a lot of possession. And defensively, they did their job, and they were very good. They were good to a point where I, like, to me, it's them right now. Those are the guys. But they were not tested all that much. They will be now, especially against England. They will be tested a lot. They will be under pressure a lot. Right. These guys play in MLS. You know, again, that's it's different. It's a different level of competition. That's not a besmirchment to MLS. It's just facts. Uh, so, like, it feels to me like the greatest test that they'll ever feel uh, as professionals, is going to happen at a World Cup. There won't really have been any kind of club-level competition or tournament before that where they'll have a chance to have really gotten their feet wet. They're going to be thrown into the fire. No, that's and true. And so that, that's something that – I'm not saying that they're not capable of it. I'm just saying at this point, it's a huge variable. We don't know. We don't know yet. But we also – I mean, if you're looking at defenses, um, okay, maybe they'll perform – I mean, it's so many months away. Know, but right now, if you're looking at the English defense – you are not looking at it. If we can get a hold of the ball for a little period of time, you don't think that our attackers can cause that English defense with its current problems any trouble? Of course we can. Yeah, they can. Now, the difference is uh, the, the U.S. still, we still don't know who that, that out-and-out goal scorer is in, in attack. Right. So that's, that is the other problem. But I know, but a fluid front, front three could cause that English, that English defense problems. Again, we don't know how it's going to line up. Will, will Shaw and Maguire even be part of it come next November? I don't know. I mean, Maguire. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, you yeah. don't know. Andrew. You're right. You it's really... for God's sakes. It's like eight months away. Seven yeah. months. Seven what and a half we, months. What are we talking about here? L- l- can I just circle back to Iran for a second? Because, like, Iran won their first group game against Morocco, one nil. They were. I know it was a Spain team that was death by football, but they only lost one nil to to Spain in their second uh, World Cup group game. And if 
if I remember it correctly, and, and I think that I do, uh, that tense final day in Group B in 2018, where Iran uh, tied with Portugal, but it was enough for Portugal and Spain to go through out of that group. Like, Iran played brilliantly and were desperately unlucky. And if I remember correctly again, and maybe someone can jump in and tell me, um, you know, I think they had lots of chances. Or they, they certainly cut Portugal open at times. So I am not underrating Iran. I'm just saying, at this remove, seven, eight months out, I do think that second place is up for grabs, it, yeah. but it all depends that factor of who's going to come in out of the European playoff. Yeah, but it, it's up for grabs. But I will not be, you know, we've like we've it's not done, an easy group, right? We've done a lot of this, and now all of our training of of becoming more humble as people. This it's all been building up to this moment for us. We're there's not another, we're not taking anything for granted here. No, we're not. And there's another factor too, which um, uh, Greg Berhalter talked about at the World Cup draw. He, you know, a lot of his players are literally going to play that weekend and get on a flight straight to the World Cup. There's no run into this thing. There's no finish our seasons, let's recoup, mm-hmm. let's take a break before we go to camp. There's none of that. There's literally, play your, for not for all players, but for a lot of club players, play your club games on the weekend, then fly out. The US played the UEFA Path A winners on the 21st of November. So they'll have played games just a few days ago and, and then they're straight into camp. How will they be fitness-wise? How will they be injury-wise? How will they be with load management? There are so many variables here. Previewing this World Cup will be a complete crapshoot. Mm-hmm. It's so true. <laughs> and I believe the U.S. play on the first day of the World Cup. I could be wrong. I'll, I'll double-check that. But I think, Yeah, no, I think, uh, they do. Yeah. yeah, I believe that they do. Yeah. yeah, the 21st, the 25th, and the 29th are the U.S.'s three games. <laughs> so... This thing could be over in a blink and you might be out and it might be because of a lot of external factors. And that's why we're, we're kind of, and we, I know we're going to get to this, I, I hate to jump ahead on the rundown, but we're kind of obsessed with this idea of a group of death mm-hmm. and people don't see one. I don't see necessarily one that, that jumps out to me, but I see groups where, man, it's, <laughs> there's so many variables that go into this. There's so many little things that can trip even the powerhouse teams up. Yeah. Like I'm not, I wouldn't be bullish or confident about anything. You can look at it on paper and say, these are the teams. Definitely. You can pick two teams in every group almost and say, those are the two strongest teams in every group. And the rest are going to try and be, try and, and compete to, to, to create an upset. But I'm not sure it's going to play out like that at all. Uh the other thing I wanted to ask you about with the U.S., first off, something that was brought to our attention, I think I saw this, it might have been on the Reddit page that I saw this, you know, I'm talking about the center backs and how, even though I, I've come to really believe in those players and, and feel generally good about them, it's, it's a point that I'll be really looking at in the lead up, how, what's their form, all that. Um, and, and beyond that, J.J., like, we didn't talk about Zach Steffen the other night after the Costa Rica match, and somebody brought that to, somebody brought that up and said, "I'm surprised the guys didn't mention that more." He was not very good, and this is for you know we've always talked about how that's a position that's usually solid for the U.S. When all else might be up in the air, goalkeeper is usually one that they feel good about. And we're going to be going into this World Cup. I don't I don't see it changing where these guys Turner Steffen. Maybe Horvath, I don't know, but I don't necessarily think he'll be competing for the number one job for the U.S. Whoever it is for the U.S. is going to be going to this World Cup not playing regular minutes. Um, uh, I, I mean, so, how many? I, do I really have to repeat myself on this? Yes. I mean, I've been saying this forever. First of all, I don't rate Stefan that highly. I, 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 I'm not sure what he does amazingly well um, as a keeper. Turner is not perfect either. Turner's distribution is not as good as Stefan's. 
but he's probably a better shot stopper, which matters most. I would say shot stopping right now. Um, it's not good to be in this position going in. And I do think, I think Greg created a little problem for himself or maybe not. Maybe he values the, the distribution element much, much more than we think. But, you know, I thought Turner had done enough during the summer to cement that number one spot. Um, what, like I said, you don't get better at something by not doing it regularly. And there's, I don't want the tweets about training. Training is not the same thing as a game. It just isn't. And we are going to face an issue that maybe if Horvat plays, I don't know, you know, X amount of minutes for Nottingham Forest from the start of next season to the World Cup. You see him immer- you see him jumping two guys? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. He, uh, he'd be the only keeper starting regularly, Andrew. And and I honestly think that's something that has to be taken into consideration. But but I agree with the guys, and I'm sorry we didn't address it last time out, but I agree with our tweeters about, about Stefan. You did not see anything in Costa Rica that or, or against Panama that made you think, ooh, this is... This guy is very assured. The uh, the other thing I wondered about, and I, I texted you this, but we'll bring it up now. It makes sense. Mm. This is, of course, a podcast. Um, so uh, Stephen Goff tweeted, CONCACAF Nations League draw is Monday night. Uh, and then U.S. will play two home friendlies between June 1st and June 8th, and then Nations League matches on June 11th and 14th. So the Nations League is going to go on. What is What is the better way of preparing for a World Cup? Is it to be playing actual competitive matches that count for something against fellow CONCACAF opposition? Or is it to be playing friendlies against, you know, maybe superior European, South American nations, teams like that, in games that mean nothing? Um, The problem with the games that mean nothing against the good opposition is that you might only get 45 minutes of like real serious play out of it. But again, you could learn a lot from that. Um, The other side to that is if you get an absolute hammering, um, that's not great for confidence. Um, There's the other side. There's the other element, too, that it doesn't matter even if you play. And I certainly seen this with the Republic of Ireland. If you play friendlies against even the top ranked nations they're going to experiment in those games and they're not going to be at full throttle. Mm. Um, and so are they really important games? The competitive games, if those teams come out and it, these are actual full throttle games, um, the competitive Nations League games, to my mind, are more beneficial. But I, it's very hard for me to say. I'm not sure games leading into tournaments mean, mean anything, really. Yeah. yeah, I don't know either. I think it's more just about you, your own team, getting yeah. guys on the same page, you know, I, being I together, building chemistry. I definitely believe the warm-up games are certainly helpful. If there's a guy on the fringes, a guy you're thinking about bringing, or a guy that's, um, you know, you're not that the manager isn't sure about, right. and he gets to see something. He, you know, those fringe players can make an impression in those games. But otherwise, like a mixed discarud type. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking more. Jason McAteer in 1994. Okay. Like he played against Holland and Germany in um, warm up games in the 94 World Cup for Ireland. I always remember it. And he stood out. And the next thing he's on the plane. So yeah. that's, um, that's something, I suppose. Uh, the weight now. The weight. God, this is, I mean, this is like, it's just such a strange thing to have this draw, A, before we even know literally who all the teams are that are going to be competing in it, and B, to now have to wait almost eight months. It's a lot. It's a lot to ask, JJ. 
Like if I, I knew uh, the, if the Eagles made the playoffs and I knew like and I knew they had a game, their first game was going to be against the Cowboys in the playoffs. And it's like, okay, you, you got in. Uh, now it's going to be eight months until that playoff game happens. Like, what? No, that that yeah. must be a mistake. That, it's it's the distortion of our football reality, too. Um, the World Cup's the summer. Always has been, always should be. And now it's bang in the middle of the winter or fall, winter, whatever you want to call it. And um, yeah, it's... It'll be, that part of it, it'll be fine. I'm not. No, it, wor- it, I'm not it, it, worried. We're about still going to watch the games. We're still going to enjoy it. It's not. Um, it's it's not ideal. Like I said, it, particularly. It's not, not ideal because of what it what might happen to players taking part. If guys are getting hurt with their club teams, then yes, then it's certainly not ideal. But that, I mean, in that's truth, huge. You're right, but in truth, that can that can happen. Well, not not no. to the free. No, because you're right. This is kind of one. Right up against the other. You're so. not giving a guy. You're not giving a guy a chance to get fit. Right. You're not getting that run in. You know how many players come out of the winter, or sorry, out of the the spring at the end of their club seasons with a few knocks, but they've got that like run in. They've got that f- those few weeks to kind of prepare and get ready and get themselves right. That doesn't always work. We we often see players go in undercooked. Well, Zidane look, maybe maybe players having a summer off will will do that. You know that, like they, a lot it, of these guys have how, not had a summer off in a long time. Yeah, look how intense football is, though, Andrew. From um, from September to to when this World Cup starts, club football is. You know, I don't know. I'm 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 not convinced by it. I'm not. I won't be either. Oh, by the way, I should clarify from uh, Sporting News: the mascot. Uh, this is what they said. What at first glance has the appearance of a gutra. Uh, cloth headdress worn in Qatar. The mascot is not meant to have a fixed anthropomorphic identity, according to the marketing team that created it. Laib is a fun and mischievous character who comes from the mascot verse, a parallel world where all tournament mascots live. (laughs) Laib can be a figment of your imagination. He is whoever a football fan wants him to be. So that's their explanation for for that. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. And that's fine. Uh, a couple other World Cup things, JJ. You mentioned about there not really being a group of death. Um, if you look at the SPI, uh, they point to Group F with the highest average SPI rating uh, mm-hmm. and the lowest average SPI ranking, um, like their their world ranking. So if there if we were going to choose one, Group F uh, would be the group, which is um, Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Croatia. Yeah. Can I advance that Group H is much trickier? Or may turn out to be more uh, trickier than people think. I think in terms of depth, that one doesn't appear to have a weak link. Um, I know Uruguay have flattered to deceive in the past, but they've still got quality players. We know what South Korea can do. Ghana as well. Portugal. Kind of the great wild card of the whole tournament is Portugal. Kinda, like personnel-wise, you'd argue they're in the top three or four teams. You can do that. Mm-hmm. Everything else-wise, <laughs> you're not sure because they flatter to deceive so often, and they often play very underwhelming football. And I don't know what Portugal is going to turn up under Fernando Santos and my reservations about them, but that looks like a really interesting group. Mm-hmm. Um, Dermot Corrigan was writing about Spain, obviously, and their group, which, tasty enough, we, we have to see the who's going to come out of the Intercontinental Playoff Part 2, uh, which will be Costa Rica or New Zealand. But it's Spain, Germany, Japan. And so, obviously, the pathway is there as number one or two. I mean, Spain, you know, they're in this moment where 
they're really we're really beginning to think that talking about Barcelona being back that Spain are back under Luis Enrique um, but he says coming out of the group that is when it might start to get a lot harder Group E is paired with Group F meaning Spain will likely face either Belgium the number one ranked team in the world or Croatia finalists in 2018 in the last 16 that is that is a very tasty side of the draw yeah. by the way I think Belgium lost their world their number one ranking I believe Brazil have it now yeah and we helped do that because we tied with them uh, there you go Thank you. Ago. Yeah, way to go, Ireland. Um, yeah, that that group that you mentioned there is the uh, the only group that has two previous World Cup champions in in Germany who have four titles to their name, and Spain who have one, um, and then Japan and like you said, the Costa Rica New Zealand winner round that one out. Um, other groups that are intriguing to me or or countries taking part in this, I am maybe this is low hanging fruit. They're the host nation, but I am fascinated by Qatar. And what they'll be able to do at this World Cup, uh, only mm. one host nation has ever failed to advance past the first round at the FIFA World Cup, which was South Africa in 2010. And I think, right. I think a lot of people will be, because Qatar is not a traditional soccer country, I think a lot of people will be almost expecting that to happen again. SPI gives them only a 27% chance of advancing past the group stage, which is by far the lowest in that group of the four teams there. Um, they did win the 2019 Asian Cup. They didn't have to go through qualifying, obviously. They qualified automatically, but they've tried to enhance some of their big match experience by taking part in Copa America. We remember them taking part in the Gold Cup. They were not great. They were they were bad in Copa America. They got flattened. In the Gold Cup, I thought they were actually decent. Um, we'll see. You know, we've seen that month that that country, Qatar, put a lot of money into this World Cup. Uh, and with that, I think they have put a lot of money into the development of their their nation as a soccer nation in their league, uh, in this team. So maybe they surprise, um, and maybe having a country behind them and the enthusiasm of that, maybe it, it carries them further than, uh, than you might think. And it's interesting because group a is who group B is paired up with. Should the U S England, whoever advance, uh, into the knockout stage, whoever gets out of group B will be taking on group a teams, either the Netherlands, Senegal, um, uh, Qatar, like I said, or Ecuador. So, I'll be. I will be keenly interested in what happens in Group A. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, any other matchups that you're most excited about? I know you mentioned Spain and Germany being in the same group. That's obviously, you know, that's that's your big one. Argentina, Mexico. I kind of can't wait for that one. I'm really curious about that group too because, um, so many question marks over the teams going into this. Argentina. I'm, what to expect from them i mean they got they scraped out of their group last time in a group that was had nigeria and iceland in which they were expected to do very well and they 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 toiled in that group mexico can they get this thing together they certainly have enough time under tata martino to to kind of i know qualifying wasn't probably as bad as people think but the performances were not good mm. um and can they get you know Tecatito? Can they get Raul Jimenez back into some kind of form? What are they going to do about the center of the midfield? Um, and Poland, again, talk about flatter to deceive. They've got, I suppose, the uh, one of the outstanding goal scorers in the world, but have they enough pieces around him to make a to make a run in this? Yeah, lots, lots and lots of questions. And um, I'm curious also as well about how Canada are going to fare out in a when they've been removed from CONCACAF, which they've dominated over this qualifying cycle and put in against some big boys in, in traditional big boys in Belgium and Croatia. Yeah, I can't wait to see what they do. That, yeah, uh, I'm very excited about them. And people are yeah. saying, 
uh, because I've suggested that we do an in the club with Canada uh, sometime in the not too, not too distant future. And some oh, Canadians, yeah. Canadians responded by saying, oh, you were joking. I know you're joking, but you should talk about Canada. I'm not joking. We weren't we'll joking about that. <laughs> no, we'll get it done. Uh, yeah. Lord knows we have enough time. Yeah. <laughs> We could That's probably true. get yeah. one done on every team in this tournament if we really wanted to. I mean, look, as we get closer, we, we'll have a lot a lot to do with this tournament, obviously. Kind of kind of been building eight years for this, so we will go all out. We'll, as we get closer, we'll have all of our group previews like we always do. Um, who knows? We, we need to get together and really hash out the plan for what's going to happen with this World Cup. What if we got offered to go, JJ? Would you jump at that? Yeah, you got to go. Oh, my God. Bucket list. You, you have to go. Yeah. Um, and also it's like, if you're a broadcaster or you, you cover a sport or if you're like a serious newsprint journalist, you're, you're obliged to go. I will. I, oh you, yeah, you yeah. Cover things, whatever your reservations are about the host place, you still have to go. I mean, I was thinking, it's funny. I still just view myself as a fan. I was kind of thinking the fan angle, but you're right. Oh my God. If we were offered to go to work. Oh, incredible. This, yeah. That's, no, I'd want to go to work. Definitely. Yeah. Of course. That's how I'd like to do it. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's go ahead. Let's take a break because club play returned this past weekend and a lot is going on. So we're going to talk about some of the stuff happening in the, in the Premier League, uh, some of what we saw with Barcelona in La Liga, a little bit of MLS. You have a mailbag too. So there's still a lot to do. All right. So don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. JJ, this is the uh, this is the 2022 official FIFA World Cup song. Yeah. It's kind of standard fare, isn't it, really? Yeah, I think it's good. I'm not somebody who just, like, is going to just hate on stuff for no reason. I, this song's fine. I'm, I'm good with it. I think it's, uh, it's, the, it's... It's what you'd expect, isn't it, really? That kind of... Chorus well, that's yeah, it's upbeat. I mean, it'd be weird if it was, you know, like some Nine kind inch of nails. some kind of dark, depressed. Yeah, they. This is exact unity, all that stuff. So, oh, I think it's good. I think it's good. I like it. It's um, Trinidad, Cardona, Aisha, and Davido. So, there's that. Not not really familiar with those artists. Do you know who but, it was four years ago? Um, it was, I think it was Will Smith, but he the song did it. not take off. I don't think. No, it was this. <laughs> It was Will Smith was in it, um, Nikki Jam and Era Estrefi. Didn't take off. Not not in the same way, way as uh, We Are the People You're Waiting for. Did last <laughs> summer. I think that that was probably the most memorable one. Yeah, no, that was a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, JJ. So we returned to club play this weekend after everything that had gone on in the the last week and a half or so with World Cup qualifying and then the draw on Friday. I can't. I almost needed a buffer weekend at first. Like when when we were going back into it, I was like, I'm not. I'm not, not now. Premier League. All right, give me a moment to just kind of breathe and think about everything that's happened. But I'll say this: once we got back into it, I. It's funny. I I slipped back in very very easily, very comfortably back into this, and it helps JJ that every Premier League race seemed to ramp up. Uh, Liverpool briefly moving ahead of Manchester City, and then City going back top. Tottenham moving ahead of Arsenal. Now Arsenal, by the time you're listening to this, may have played today, so. At this point, we don't know, but right now, Tottenham sit fourth. Yeah. Um, no one really doing anything at the bottom. 
of the of the table in the relegation race, but I think that's kind of going to be a theme of how that race maybe plays out. Yeah. Um, who can be the the least worst? Well, I think I think we should begin by saying Brentford had the result of the weekend at Stamford Bridge, and that yes, the result of the weekend uh, going down a goal and then four unanswered at Chelsea, trashing them, a, 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 a humiliation for Chelsea, uh, and Christian Eriksen scoring at Stamford Bridge, which is I mean, what a moment that was for him after having scored for Denmark. He's back. He is well and truly back and looks very much like Christian Eriksen that uh, that we know him to be. And, and it's, uh, it's Thiago, S- Thiago Silva's wife going on social media to admonish commentators who criticized her husband for his defending or maybe even his general play against Brentford, which uh, this is not, this is nothing against her or anybody else, but the families have got to stay out of these things. <laughs> Don't they really? Like they don't I understand. Help. I, no, they don't help. They do not help. But I also understand that that can be hard. And he was at fault for the third goal. He goes to win a ball with Ivan Tony. He's no need to. And then he, he doesn't win it. So he's out of position. And um, the I can't remember who, who scored the goal, but the, the goal scorer runs blindside of Rudiger. Was it Janelle? He scored twice. Yes, it was. And it was such a great finish as well. Yeah. Um, but you know, he made a mistake. All right. And commentator's job is to analyze. And she starts going on about respecting him. <laughs> and, and she really doesn't help things. He just got back from Brazil. Okay, so what? You know, he just got back from Brazil. One of the guys who scored against Chelsea just got back from playing international football. His first game after having a heart attack last summer. Yeah. You know, and, and then she goes, he's 37. Yeah, all right. These are not know. yeah this these are not things helping the argument. No, they aren't. So she should just leave him alone. Like and he's been he's been pretty great since he's well when he's fit he's been pretty great when he's uh, played for Chelsea. So it's been a good signing. Just leave it alone. Yeah. Yeah, that's that stuff does not help. Definitive, no. especially those arguments. That's Stop funny, guys. He's 37. Leave him alone. Well then <laughs> are, are you suggesting that he shouldn't be on Chelsea? Like <laughs> well, what? Yeah, I don't know. That's that is not making the argument that you think you are. Yeah, um, it's, it reminds me of Giselle after the uh, the second Giants win over the Patriots, and she's at the airport, and someone shouts something about her husband, and she just shouts back, "He can't catch the effing right, ball. Right. He can't throw the effing ball and catch it too." Yeah, which was kind of a- funny after Wes Welker had dropped it, which then became ironic when he dropped a wide open third down conversion pass against the Eagles in the 2017 Super Bowl. Not that I've relived that moment thousands of times in my <laughs> mind. Uh, here's a trivia question for you, JJ. Trivia. Um, this player has now scored more Premier League goals than any other German player in the competition's history. Oh, go on. Who? Ilkay Gundogan. Now has the most Premier League goals of any German player ever, overtaking. Really? Yeah, with 34, uh, overtaking oh, yeah. uh, Mesut Ozil. Okay, that makes sense. How about that? Yeah. Um. By the way, that the 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 goal that he scored, it was City second. Was just such classic City. Yes. It was the classic Andrew explanation. It was I mean, it was beautiful play by uh, De Bruyne and Sterling, but it was that cutback, and it. It was off the floor a little bit, so it's a, a bit more difficult to take, and he took it excellently. City, I mean, what are, what are Burnley supposed to really do? I don't know. I feel as if they're going, this is just one we try not to get injured in and get it over with. But they, they tried to park the bus. They tried to sit in, and 
the gap between them and City was just, it was like they're not even in the same league. Uh, yeah, Liverpool, like we mentioned, also winning their game 2-0. So, um, bit of a grind, bit of a grind. Not mm-hmm. a great performance, but a win's a win, and that's the most important thing. And now it's all teed up for Sunday. Yeah, battle for top four, like we said, Arsenal in action today. But uh, Manchester United settled for a I would what I would call probably a fortunate draw against Leicester. Very. Uh, United now winless in their last five against Leicester. And United this season winless in all three Premier League matches when Cristiano Ronaldo does not play. So for whatever we say about him, maybe not enhancing them quite to the level that we thought he might. Uh, that could be true, but he enhances them even less when he's not on the field. Yeah. Um, Ralph Ranjik was talking about him uh, beforehand, the doctor going to Cristiano Ronaldo's house, that he wasn't okay to play. Um, Ranjik has the world weariness of a man who just wants out now. He wants the season over. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I would be very doubtful he'll do anything in a consultancy role for this club. I really don't. Um, yeah, and a lot of other just kind of continually disappointing performances for Manchester United in this one. I mean, Paul Pogba was fairly anonymous. Um, Which is not good considering the amount of talking he's done lately. Uh, talking to everyone, telling telling various publications how he's wasted the best years of his career, of his club career at United. By the way, that is correct. That assessment is true. He has wasted them there, but how much has he contributed to the wastage? Right, when you're part of the problem... Again, yeah. not helping your argument. Uh, Marcus Rashford, again, it, for for everyone out there waiting for his season to suddenly spring to life, I think you're going to be waiting a long time. It just feels yeah. like this is going to be a lost year. In, in what could still be a very bright career, this is going to be a lost year for him, and that's unfortunate. Sure. Um, and even Jaden Sancho, who we thought was starting to kind of really spring to life and become you know, one of United's top two or three best players. Uh, as other players have kind of exited, it maybe presented him with more of an opportunity, and he wasn't great in this one either. Just just not a good day at the office for Manchester United. Uh, meanwhile, in that race for top four, Tottenham keeping the pressure on Arsenal. Um, now, Arsenal, of course, do have a match at hand, but I believe that match is Arsenal away at Chelsea. So it's not necessarily one where you can kind of pencil in the three points. Uh, and, of course, these two teams still play each other after their previous game uh, what was supposed to be back in January was cancelled. Uh, I don't know that a date has been officially set for that North London derby. I, I saw May 12th being talked about, which I think, if that is what it winds up being, would I think be their third to last game of the season for each of them on a Thursday. That's not official yet, but I saw that going around yesterday. Mm. And good Lord, <laughs> like how big might that game be? But Tottenham are flying right now. Um, since they got shut out by Burnley, Tottenham have scored four, five, two, two, three, and five in the league. They've won all of those but one, the three two lost to United. Twenty one goals in six games for them. Um, it was interesting to listen to Conte after the game, where he talked about when we have time, when we have days, when we have chances to implement what we want to do in training, we are a better team. Yeah. And I can't remember where I heard this stat, but there's a, a very interesting stat about Tottenham, Tottenham's wins and their good performances have come after extended days of training since Conte came in, and their defeats have come when there's a quick turnaround. Yeah, Eric Dyer was talking about Conte, and he said the big thing with him, I think they mentioned this on the broadcast too, that uh, Conte is all about trying to make them as uncomfortable as possible in training. And oh, yeah, I'm the, sure. And the hope is that now the game suddenly doesn't feel so uncomfortable if what you're experiencing in training is even worse. Um, and 
you know, in certain respects, it's paying off because they're they're not just winning; they're they're doing it in style. These have been fun victories for them. Uh, Could there have been a better manager to come in for Matt Doherty? Nope. Boy, he's a different player now. Yeah. When it's he's a, a total play- career rejuvenation is, is, yeah, is happening right before your eyes with that guy. To be fair to him, you're not going to get better if your manager doesn't pick you. And he was signed under Mourinho and hardly played to begin with. And then he came in and didn't do well. And Mourinho lost faith in him and they yeah. dropped him. And But he's tailor-made for for what Conte is trying to do. Yeah. Uh, it was funny because, I mean, Tottenham scored five in this one, but three were from defenders, guys who never score. Uh, Darty scored one, both fullbacks. Emerson Royale scored one, and Ben Davies scored in the Premier League for the first time since 2017. Uh, yeah. So uh, they're getting it from everyone. And one of the things that's that's nice to see is, okay, so some of their recent signings, we've we've have been well documented how they have not uh, – they have not panned out. You know, he, Brian Hill has gone gone away. Lacelso gone away. Tangi and Dombele, much to my dismay, those guys are all gone. But if you look at their three signings from this year, uh, even in the January window, Bentoncourt and Kulisevsky have been amazing. I mean, really, they've been amazing for this team. Undroppable mm-hmm. at this point. And Christian Romero, now that he's healthy and playing every week, he's the best defender on the team. And that's saying something because I think Eric Dyer has done a great job next to him at center back. But you, you can see now why... There was so much hype around Romero. You didn't see it for half the season because he wasn't healthy. Now also, he a manager, is, a manager that a manager that can organize a defense yes. makes you know makes such a difference. And uh, and worth noting too from this one, Son is now one of two players with twenty at least twenty goal involvements in the Premier League this season. Mo Salah, of course, the other with thirty. Just those two. Wow. Uh, one other note: JJ Leeds get a draw, which keeps them in in good position to avoid relegation. I would say Jesse Marsh. Very much so. I think it's only going to take a, a couple of more results than they should be all right. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the wild card in all of this is Everton sat on 28 games played. Um, it's Andrew, Wednesday of this week, 2.30 p.m. Visit Turf Moor for Frank Lampard and, and Everton. It's a cup final. It's a, it's a big game. I, firstly, let's look at the Burnley point of view. They have to win a game. At some point, they're going to have to win a game. And Well, that's not true, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> um, and you just have so little faith in Everton now. Um, I don't think it was a particularly good performance by West Ham, but it didn't need to be when Everton had so many errors and Michael Keane, Alex Awobi, and then the manager afterwards... You know, in one interview with the TV, confident that they'd get out of it by the end of the run of the games that they have. And then then questioning the player's character again in the print media interview. I just, I don't understand this. Um, has it ever worked? You know, uh, So may, maybe it has. But the problem is you're, you got to you got to kind of pick and choose when you're going to push that button. Yeah, and he's he does pushing it, it every week. Yeah. I mean, one week it's bollocks, the next week it's character. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't like hearing it. No, certainly. I mean, every once in a while, I think you understand, you know what, maybe maybe you say to yourself, if you're a true professional, you might say to yourself, he's right. We are letting a lot of people down with the way we're playing right now. We are we are better than this. Everton has players that are better than what their their spot is in the table right now. Um, so you could hear it and maybe get motivated by it, but if it's not working, you know, that, that tact, you got to change it up. It can't be that every week. Can I can I just on and I you know what you see the games you've watched just your feeling if they lose a turf more on Wednesday night 
and they do have a fairly tricky run in the games, including a Merseyside Derby and and some other games there. Is it? Are, are they going down? I mean, it means Watford. Watford have to win too, but um, I mean, look, they can lose this game to Burnley and still not be in the relegation zone. It'll yes. it'll tighten. Um, and you know, Watford are three below Everton right now. Um, the goal differential is is horrible for Watford, so Everton have a, a solid edge there, uh, and Everton have two games at hand over Watford, which again I have gone on at length saying that you can't two, just because you have two games at hand doesn't mean you have a six point edge on a team. Um, you got to win those games first, and Everton aren't winning anything, but it's a, it's a it's a potential cushion. It's a spot where they could maybe pick up you know an extra point or something. I I still don't think Everton are going down. I still don't. Is that because you just can't visualize it? Kind you of. You can't rationalize it? It's, it's because... partially that, and it's partially what you've been talking about. Um, you know, I, I rule Norwich out of the conversation. To me, that's they're done, they're going down. It's over. Um, but part of it is what you've said for, for months now, really, about Watford and Burnley, is that they're just— They're inept. Right. They're terrible. They're truly terrible. So just, all you, got, you don't have to be good. You just have to be the least bad. And I think Everton—there's there's enough— there has to be enough quality on Everton compared with Watford or Burnley for Everton to at least be the least bad of those three. And after, and then having a point edge, which they do have right now over those other two. After the defeat the defeat at the London Stadium, um, I was I went into the mentions on one of Everton's uh tweets uh-huh. after the game. And, you know, they talked about improved performance, which just enraged the Everton supporters. But there was one funny tweet. You've never watched the English office. Um but there's a moment where there's an episode where David is takes out his guitar and um, he takes out his guitar to play, play songs and just to try and impress everybody. David Brent, mm-hmm. um, Ricky Gervais character <laughs> and Dawn, one of the characters is very upset. So Brent goes, go and get the guitar as if he's going to soothe her with this music. <laughs> and um, somebody from the Everton supporter base has created a meme and it's it's Brent making the face, like, go and get the guitar, and it says, go and get the pictures of Bramley Moore Dock. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Soothe them with pictures of our new stadium. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, pretty um, good. One other thing, I mentioned Leeds before in that game against Southampton. Uh, the Southampton side of it, JJ, I think you already know where I'm going with this. Uh, you know what being elite at something looks like? It looks like this statistic. James Ward-Prowse now has 12 goals scored on direct free kicks in the last five Premier League seasons. Okay, that sounds good, but put it in perspective for me. The next closest to him in that time is James Madison with six. Half the number. It's ridiculous. This is Steph, yeah. this is Steph Curry stuff. Jesse Marsh said, I consider in certain areas it almost a penalty for, <laughs> for James Ward-Prowse. Now, it's not quite that, but he's so good at it. It's... It, it reminds me of there was I think there was a period in the early 2000s where Beckham and Ian Hart were just every time either Beckham got a free kick for United or Ian Hart got a free kick for Leeds it was like uh oh this thing is hitting the frame of the goal it's going to be on target you can put your house on it yeah uh, let's see before we get out a couple quick ones JJ MLS I don't have a ton to say right now one thing I, I just wanted to mention if you've been on kind of U.S. soccer Twitter lately, aside from all World Cup stuff. The other big thing that I feel like we're seeing coming out of this weekend is the Georgie Mihalovic hype train is, it's in the station and people are getting on. And you wonder where this thing is headed because he has been 
spectacular so far to start the season, and even more so over the weekend when he scored a couple goals and he's just dominating games. And he's still a young player. And we've gotten glimpses of him with the U.S. at, at times, but not really in any kind of leading or dominant roles. But he's young, and you just wonder if like he's now hitting that age where it's clicked for him. Um, he's 23 uh, at Montreal, and we'll see. Uh, I mean, I, I have a feeling he's going to play his his way into at least whatever summer conversations there are for the U.S. men in terms of guys that maybe they want to get an additional look at aside from players that we're already really familiar with because he's he's been that good so far. Uh, so we're, we're I, gonna, just, I wanted to mention that. We're going to have another conversation later on in the podcast about someone whose name is beginning to be mentioned a lot hmm. uh, for those conversations. And those conversations are going to be just springing up like mushrooms. Every, every week, every day, there's probably going to be a new one. You're right. You're probably right. Uh, and then one other note before the mailbag, JJ, uh, Barcelona. They win again on maybe one of the one of the best goals of the season, maybe. Ah, did um, you see that in in La Liga so far? Pedri, come on, just Rakitic ah. gone, Diego Carlos gone, and then the finish after that. Oh, uh, he's so good. It's it's really. I mean, you're witnessing something, the beginning of something special with this player. Not to put too much hype on him too soon, but it is what it is. Uh, and and you look at Xavi and. You know, talk about seeing the beginning of something special. Barcelona were ninth when he took over. It was bleak. They're second now. They're second now. They've won six in a row. I believe they're unbeaten in 13. Um, they're still, you know, in contention in the Europa League, and I think they'd probably now be most people's favorites to go on and win that. It's not a trophy that means a ton necessarily to Barcelona and their history, but I think in this moment when things were as bleak as they were, that trophy will, will in fact mean something to them. Uh, so... It's getting fun there again, and it happened, it, I think, on a quicker timeline than what many people were expecting. Yeah, for sure, uh, and it may not look like it used to look. It'll never look that way again, probably, but um, Javi said, we're going to try talking about going for the La Liga title. It's unlikely that Madrid slip up so much, but we will give everything until the end. The fact they're in this position, even if they do finish second, is it's so heartening for um, for Barcelona fans. Yeah. Uh, mailbag? Yeah, quick one before the mailbag, Andrew. Oh. Just uh, want to give our best wishes. I don't know if he listens. I doubt it. But um, Netherlands manager uh, Louis van Gaal said on Sunday that he's battling prostate cancer. Uh, speaking on Dutch television show Umberto, the 70-year-old former United and Barcelona manager revealed his diagnosis but declared he plans to carry on in his role. Mm-hmm. I have now had four periods as national coach. I went to the hospital in the evening or at night in every period without the players knowing. They still see those ruddy cheeks of mine and think, what a healthy pair that is. Well, of course I am not. I don't think you tell the people you work with like that because that might influence their choices or decisiveness or whatever. I thought they shouldn't know. Look, you don't die from prostate cancer at least about 90%. It is usually the underlying diseases that kill you. I did have an aggressive form. I've been uh, uh, irradiated. irradiated, thank you, 25 times. Then you have a lot of management to do and then go through life. 25 times. <laughs> Grueling. Yeah. And it, he's, he's just one of the best characters in football. And I know lately he's been kind of vaunted for his outspokenness about there shouldn't be a World Cup in Qatar, um, about Manchester United as a commercial club, about the ills of, of modern day football. But he was an amazing manager too. And um, and 
it's uh, we're just wishing the best. Of course. That's all I can say really about that. Um, yeah, mailbag, I guess, Andrew. Let's, yeah, sure. let's do that. Uh, Stephen Lemons, uh, he got us on Twitter, at Pod. Please follow us on Twitter. Get this jalopy of a Twitter to 10,000 followers, and then I can just rest easy, okay? Uh, Stephen, I always tell myself before season to not get too connected to a lone player. This season, Connor Gallagher is doing amazing for Palace, and I have not stuck to my preseason promise. Can you think of any other lone players that had such a big impact on a club and fan base? I thought about this, and then I Googled it, and then I realized I had totally underrated Fernando Marientes' move from Real Madrid to Monaco on loan in 2003. Marientes racked up 42 appearances. He scored 22 goals, five assists in the process, helped the League One, uh, League One side knock out his parent club, Real Madrid, Oof. out of the Champions League. And he ended his single season at Monaco as the top goal scorer in Europe with nine goals. That is a lo- that is an amazing loan uh, period. And I'm curious if there's any Monaco fans out there who remember it as fondly as, um, well, as fondly as it should be remembered considering his stats. Uh, Lukaku was alone, right? I mean, that was in the period of time when Chelsea were loaning everyone out. Yeah. Uh, when he went to West Brom. I would, right. imagine, I would imagine West Brom fans were probably... Um, probably felt similarly about him sure uh, um next one chris shaver when will carter vickers <laughs> get another opportunity for the u.s men's national team seems to be in great form this year and can't get a whiff from greg he will be in the scottish team of the season he will probably be on the scottish champions and he scored the winning goal at ibrox in an old firm derby which means he is a mortal yeah amongst glasgow celtic supporters um he actually took his goal really well uh, in a game that was uh, pretty lively, Andrew, pretty lively. Uh, w- will he get it? I can't see him not being looked at. In the I run agree. Into, in the run into the World Cup. How could you not? I can make the argument that Greg had his had his crew, his trusted players locked in for qualifying and didn't want to upset the apple cart. But you have to look at him now. You have to. I would think so, too. It depends how they treat these summer games. Like, I would think that this is these will kind of be tryouts for the squad so if that's what it is then he should probably be there um so but i don't know i don't know if it's more about like i've he's got his idea of what his team is and he wants them playing together as much as possible uh, then maybe carter Victor, vickers is boxed out i'm when not you sure look at, you look at the form of john brooks on, on, on the issues with john brooks you're not looking at other center back options just in case and you, and you know, Mackenzie hasn't exactly pulled up any trees when he's played. No, and like, why would you? We haven't heard Matt Miazga's name in a long no, time. It so. would be, it would shock me, and uh, it would puzzle me if Carter Vickers wasn't um, wasn't given an opportunity before before November. Yeah. And finally, Andrew uh, Stevie on Instagram uh, at Caught Offside ESPN. You can follow us there too. What are you watching these days that is non football related? Oh. What are you watching these days that's non-football related? Um, um, I'm watching yeah. F1 Drive to Survive, which... I've heard amazing things. Watch. You gotta watch it. It's so good. Uh, it's revitalized Formula One for me. I haven't watched Formula One since the late 90s. Um, so this was, this was huge for me, and I've just got back into it. It is so interesting. The characters, the personalities. Um, yeah, I'm absolutely hooked. 
totally hooked. I'm on season three now. Oh, okay. Um, just if you're a sports fan, you, you have to watch it. Uh, similarly, I've been watching Winning Time on HBO, the the show based on Jeff Perlman's book about the 1980s Lakers. Oh, and very it, cool. I, I love it. It's been fantastic. I recently finished Inventing Anna on Netflix, which I thought was actually really good. Um, I want to start Severance on Apple TV+. Plus. Oh, yeah, I've heard good things about I that. I think it looks really interesting, so I, I, I've been meaning to start that. But the problem is uh, March Madness has been going on, and that's like all that I – that just is like my obsession right now. And then I the NBA playoffs some... start like next week. So kind of some... in a rough spot for like watching other television right now. I, I should have done some research, Andrew, but <laughs> has there ever been a more – not tragic because it's not tragedy as – certainly not tragedy, but ignominious departure than Coach K's losing. It's unbelievable. At their biggest rivals in the final four. I mean, honestly, he saved, you can't make it up, JJ. He saved his worst ever defeat for his final ever game. And that's not that they played badly. No, they, it was an unbelievable game played at yeah. a really high level. You could, as you were watching it, that was what struck me. It reached a point in the second half when they, tr- they traded threes on like a couple possessions and the score kind of went back and forth. There were 18 lead changes, 12 ties. You could see about midway through the second half that it became like almost a, a desperation for both teams to not lose. They both knew the historic nature of the game, what was at stake, and there was just this desperation. We cannot lose this game. We can't. We'll never live it down. And unfortunately, it was kind of one of those games where I, no one deserved to lose, and I felt bad for whoever it was going to be. Someone had to. And for it to be Coach K, for UNC to now have this over him, it's just, I mean, that's, that's unbelievable that, that he goes out like that in a Final Four defeat to UNC after UNC beat him in their final game at Cameron Indoor. It's just like you can't make this stuff up. And it's still an incredible rivalry. But if you're Duke, what, like, it's, okay, win, win the title next year. Fine. You have like, to. But like, what does that even matter in terms of the rivalry? doesn't like oh yeah i'm not saying the, the rivalry's not dead for, for no. if you're a duke fan it just probably heated up to a level that that's even more intense for you but if you're unc it's like okay beat us by 100 next year like we beat you in the final four we ended coach k's career with his worst defeat that he ever had that's that's ama- amazing it was great drama watching that uh yeah it's not night. it's not the same at all but i remember um brian clough's last game for nottingham forest was the game they got relegated in. <laughs> but the fans wanted him to stay on, which was crazy. He had a, we talk about messianic figures in football. Like, who would want any manager to stay on with a relegation in the modern game? Probably no one. But yeah. they loved him so much, they wanted him to stay. So, yeah, I think that would have applied um, at Leeds this year. Had Bielsa not been had he not been sacked, that, that is true. Um, I, I I know you got to run, but last thing because you brought up the Duke game, I was almost thinking about it in like a, a soccer comparison here, is like that loss for those Duke players. A lot of them are eighteen, nineteen years old. That is, it's almost not fair to like have something so traumatic happen to you at that age. Like you're you're not fully developed as a human being yet to be able to like really know how to process that. And like that's a loss that was so will live with them for the rest of their lives. Like that's a hard thing to to ask an eighteen or nineteen year old to shoulder. And I was thinking about that with the way England lost at the Euros. And like Bukayo Saka was nineteen, I think, 
stepping up to take a penalty in Wembley in the European Championship for yeah. England and missing it. Like yeah. that's a that's a really hard thing for a, a teenager to shoulder. Um you know, and even some of those other young players, Rashford and Sancho as well. And, you know, Rashford has not been the same, could because because of injuries, but it could be like some those guys, that was a lot to handle. Um and so that kind of circling all the way back around makes me particularly interested in England in their first major tournament after that defeat. And we will have a front row seat as they face the U.S. on November 25th. Oh, man, this was fun, my friend. This was uh, this was a lot of fun. We'll be back, I think, midweek. Yeah. Um, I think that was the plan. So uh, you'll hear from us again. But this was fun. Hey, JJ, to you I say. Take it later, fun boy. See you later, man. Take care, brother. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 